Welcome to this exclusive roundtable discussion produced by Transparent Media Truth as part of our extended Carnicom Foundation Disclosure Project. This conversation between myself, Clifford Carnicom, Noah Westwind, and Dr. Carrie Midday is part one of two discussions concerning the information released by the Carnicom Institute in a previous video synopsis of the over two decades of research concerning the history, symptoms, and potential causes of Morgellons disease. Morgellons is a rare malady characterized by an irritating skin rash and the presence of a fibrous, polymer-like growth that forms within the body, eventually presenting externally. Clifford has also discovered a curious cross-domain bacteria that appears to be ubiquitous environmentally and is suspected of being the root cause of the disease. This video assumes that you have watched the introductory video. If you've not already, please visit transparentmediatruth.com or the Transparent Media Truth YouTube channel and watch the video so as to provide context for the following conversation. A 72-page transcript which provides further details into Clifford's work, along with a link to the video, will be available in the show notes below. Or go to transparentmediatruth.com or carnicominstitute.org, where the transcript is posted as well. Dr. Carrie Madej joins Clifford Carnicom in part one of this series. She has been speaking out on social media for months to educate all those who will listen about the lockdown lunacy as well as the dangers of the coming RNA vaccine and associated novel technologies that may well affect those injected for generations to come. Her concerns focus on the apparent release of nano and biomachine interface technologies in relation to the potentially gene-altering effects of mRNA and DNA vaccines that are the current front-runners in the public-private partnership's drive to combat COVID-19. Her expertise provides valuable input concerning the potential ramifications of Clifford's discoveries. Find out more about her work at Dr. Carrie Madej on YouTube, Carrie Madej on Facebook, or connect with her at Dr. Madej on Twitter. Transparent Media Truth's own Noah Westwind also joins in with some clarifying questions. I will be your host. My name is Doug McKinty. Find out more about my long-form interview podcast, The Shift with Doug McKinty, on YouTube and Facebook, as well as other social media platforms, or go to www.theshiftnow.com for hundreds of hours of free content, including The Shift, as well as all previous roundtable discussions. As always, I'd like to thank producer Rob Rubin of Transparent Media Truth for organizing this event and bringing us all together. You can contact Rob on Twitter, at TransparentMED1, or go to TransparentMediaTruth.com for more information about this and all other roundtables to date. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe, like, or share this information with others. We rely on listeners like you to distribute this information to the broader public. This conversation begins right after a group screening of the Carnicom Institute Disclosure video and jumps right into the question and answer period. Enjoy this roundtable discussion between myself, Noah Westwind, Clifford Carnicom, and Dr. Carrie Madej. All right, and there we have it. Um, that was a solid introduction to uh, the work that Clifford's been doing here for the last 20 years. I'm sure there are questions. That, um, it was just such a brief overview, actually, that uh, I know there's a lot that uh, you may want to 
talk about. If you want to ask a question, I think uh, you should just unmute yourself and maybe give a, a brief introduction, just your name, maybe in your area of expertise. Um, and then we can just open this up for a broader discussion. Hello, this is Carrie. Um, Dr. Carrie Made, internal medicine physician. And I have a lot of um, background with some infectious diseases, including biological weapons in the Atlanta area. So um, this doesn't really surprise me. Um, I've never tried to identify Morgellons myself in a laboratory or any way. So I'm interested in knowing Clifford and how he was doing that exactly. I know he said blood samples, urine samples, and the microscope, was, but I'm not sure what he was looking for or if he has some sort of uh, protocol that he was following that we could look at as well. Um, and uh, hi, Dr. Madej. I hope my audio is coming through. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. Great. Mm -hmm. um, well, um, there's really uh, several ways a person could go about it. Um, it, it really did start um, in terms of if I was to identify an origin, it does tie back to this uh, so-called environmental filament. That's the term I give to it um, that has occurred across the globe. It's a, it's a very strange circumstance, but that particular filament will have the appearance that the casual person will dismiss it as a spider web. There will be uh, really a concerted effort to, um, let's say, influence one to believe or think that it's a spider web. But if you start with that filament and you get those samples, I have them from across the globe, um, and take more than a casual look at what's going on. The casual look will show you nothing. I wrote a paper called a global validation that is expressly towards this issue. Are we dealing with spider webs here, folks? And it, it basically... Sufficient magnification is crucial here. I certainly wish I had even better equipment than I mm. do, but I have sufficient equipment. And when you dig, when you do get up to a roughly 5,000 uh, power, if your resolution is high enough, and you look very closely, that means you have to study the internal nature of that filament. It's really quite astounding, the level of activity. To me, it's mind-blowing, the level of activity that's going on in this thing. And what's interesting, too, here's another thing. Once you get me going, I get too long, maybe, so you just you know, shut me off mm -hmm. when it goes. But <laughs> I, had, I had a situation where I was able to get these under an electron microscope. It was sort of clever how it was done. But I got an image of these things under an electron microscope, which most people would regard as a holy grail, right? If you were to get a scope, you'd love to have an electron microscope. Mm -hmm. The fact is an electron microscope shows nothing here. Only the wow. external surface, okay, um, is visible. You see nothing on the internals of this filament with, when you're getting up to 200,000. 5,000 under visual rules um, will show you what you need to see. So, so it's sort of that example of what we perceive might be the way to approach a problem isn't necessarily um, the the easiest way or the efficient way to get at it. But visual microscopy at five thousand will will show what I'm talking about. You do have to look, and in my case, I made the point certainly within okay. the transcript when I looked inside this filament. My first question was, you know, I, first of all, I see, you know, there's a lot of activity going on here. This is not any hair. This is not any spider web. There's nothing uniform necessarily at all in here. But my fundamental question from the very beginning was, what is the smallest unit that I see? 
Now, if I had better equipment, I'd be looking for something even smaller. But with what I had, I asked, what is the smallest thing that I can see? Because in my mind, that represents a potential origin. Okay, okay, and in, in this case, in this case, a bacterial, we call it bacterial type, bacterial-like structure was what yeah. my interest, okay? Now, from this point in terms of how, from this point, the next thing uh, would be that I would start looking at blood. So I had random samples of blood. Uh, and I started seeing disruption of the blood. And okay, that's by, by the actual okay, so you know, uh, size and physical appearance of something that small with my limited equipment, you wouldn't actually be able to say at that point that these are the same things. But I will say you had a size match right away. You had a, you had the size and a geometric, geometric match right away between blood samples and what was happening inside that filament. Okay? So certainly that would make a person uh, more than curious. Now, when you advance the work where you get the culturing environment in place, this is where you know you, what, what you have, basically. And so at some point, you're going to run a culture with the environmental filament sample, and you're going to run cultures with their blood, and you're going to see if you end up at the same place. And, and the fact is that you do. But it ultimately, it would seem to me, from what I see, that literally every bodily fluid is subject to the presence of this microbe. This would be urine. Uh, uh, this would be blood. This would be sputum. Uh, these would be the three easy ones. Okay. I noticed um, you really said it was... Sorry. I noticed no, you said it was symbiotic or parasitic. Well, what I what I what I'm actually doing there is simply raising a question. I think we have an interesting question ahead of us, and I don't even know the time frame for that question. It could be sometime in the future. It's really more of just a uh, an interesting question to me uh, about that which we think might be completely and totally parasitic in a longer term frame might actually involve the issue of symbiosis. It's possible. And again, I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I don't claim it one bit. I'm an independent researcher, right? I'm not ever going to try to overstate my claims. But it's absolutely fascinating to me, the things that I read and I study and what I've been involved in. And from my understanding, uh, we share a heck of a lot more with bacteria than maybe most people realize. Right? Of course we do, yeah. Met metabolically, right? And so, mm -hmm. and our very genetic, our genetic nature relative to that of bacteria, these things are not as distinct, uh, maybe as might people might think. So this is where that question sort of comes from. You know, the mitochondria thing, right? Influence going on. What are we, what might we be set up for in the future? And, and I have to say, a most fundamental question, this business of running around in mystery world. Do you, know, you know that Netflix, they did a documentary on this. They talked to me. They didn't actually apparently have too much interest in me when I answered them because what, what they were doing was presenting a documentary. And I think it's recently been shown. It was about two years ago I had the interview. They had a premise. The premise was that this was a mystery disease. This was their premise, that it was something mysterious. And I basically said, this is not a mystery. You, you know, and I basically said, you have no right to just present this as a mystery. You need to be looking at the evidence that is there, right? Um, so 
Um, I'll, I'll cut it off there because I get going too long, but hopefully those are so the symbiotic parasitic thing was not trying to say it is this or this. It's saying, what are we really open for? Oh, and what I, I'm sorry, what I was leading to was the fact that we're not allowed to leave this in a mystery world because if we have DNA, like you do your work, yeah. you do yeah. your work and let's learn what we have. Is, is this term cross domain bacteria? Is that sensible? Is, was that the right thing to say? Well, how do mm -hmm. I know until Oops, we get to sorry. DNA? So okay. that, that's like top of the list to me. I hope that helps. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yes. Dr. Madea, yeah. are we getting, we're getting a little audio, I think, on your end behind you there. Is that coming from you? Is or that, Clifford, is that? Can you hear, hear it still? There was a clock in the background. It's yeah. off now. Okay. <laughs> there was some, there's some talking <laughs> too that I'm, that's coming across the top. Here, look. Let me move. I'm I'm actually traveling, so I'm staying at a friend's house. I'm Fair <laughs> enough. Get somewhere closer. Yeah. I'm here uh, alone, so I don't know of any audio in the background. Okay. Right now. Okay. Um, let's see how this is now. <laughs> I was okay. hoping I didn't have feedback here, though. I you know I don't know if the mic produces any feedback, but I hope it's okay. All right, it should be better. Where I'm better. At. Yeah, I do want to thank. thank I do want to thank everyone for being here. I I do appreciate your time. I really do. Likewise, thank you. Thank you very much. I'll have to read through all of your um your data, or well, it looks like a lot. I don't think all of it, but I'll get to it next week. I'm interested in it and looking at your case studies and and the similarities between the case studies, uh, the blood work, etc. So. Yes, and, um, and understand, I'm, I'm a citizen. Okay, I would be what you'd call a citizen scientist. Uh, I'm not in the peer-reviewed world, okay? I am I am excluded, and I would say definite uh, efforts have been made to marginalize the nature of my work. You can decide for yourself, but I would view them from the standpoint of a citizen scientist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I understand. You don't have to explain. Right. <laughs> Do you want to talk about how you initially isolated the filaments? Well, the very first, um, well, you have a couple of ways. You have an environmental filament and then you have a biological filament. So you have something produced in a body at some point that will match. Mm -hmm. It will match the environmental filament, right? And are, so which are you referring to, Doug? Well, I would just, I, I guess initially the environmental filament um, is the idea is you suspect they're coming from the, the aerosol spraying, that it's atmospheric? Well, atmospheric could be a proper word. You know, I, I try to be fair on what I say. I'm definitely uh -huh. not a person after sensationalism, right? But the fact is, the evidence says that these are airborne filaments, all right? Mm -hmm. um, now, we can go from there. The whole thing about, you know, if it walks like a duck and it talks like a duck and it acts like a duck, you know, is it a duck? Uh -huh. I don't extrapolate, but I can present information. And number one, the, the original source of this, everything said it says that it's airborne. Okay. Now, if we go back to the actual first source, the first source comes from a person driving up to Alaska. And I put this, I put that photo, I found those photos pretty, pretty small, but back in 1999, I put those photos in that transcript. Oops, there went a microphone. That was probably a lot of noise, I suppose. <laughs> That's all right. 
Let me see if I can get it there. Okay. So you have this guy driving up to Alaska, and I think he's in the Fresno area. He's driving along, and he sees this stuff landing on the road. He sees the stuff coming down around him, and, and he sees the stuff on the highway on the road. Okay. And he takes photographs of it. Um, and then he eventually sends that sample around to – it actually made its way to three different people. He was on his way up to uh, apparently a University of Alaska. I presume they did get some. I'm not sure of that. I know a medical professional in Albuquerque, New Mexico, that, I, that received a sample of that. And this is like a year or two later that I learned this. And then I received – I didn't receive – I have to be careful about this uh, – Let's just say I received a sample. I'd have to trace down where that actually came. No, I have the, well, I just, I don't want to speak on this. I may or may not have had that particular sample. But here's a question for you. If you look at that photograph, and I know it's it's a small photograph, there's not a whole lot with it, but it was our first information that came in on an environmental sample. If you look at that material, what you see is you see a ribbon of material. You don't see like an individual filament that somebody sees coming down in the air, which they have seen. Certainly, certainly I've seen this. You tune your, your eyes to it. But you had a ribbon, like a ribbon of material. Uh, and I wasn't there to measure it. But let's say I would say it looks like, I mean, conservatively, it would be a quarter inch in diameter of a ribbon. It looks to me like it could be up to a half inch of diameter. So you have a ribbon of material, okay, that has landed on the highway that you're talking about, what, at least 15 feet long? Now, that's beyond the point of being a single filament. See, here's what happens. If you take any you take any of those samples, you, you see a sample and you say, oh, I'd like to look at this. So you'll take the smallest thing that you can with a pair of tweezers and you say, oh, you think you have it. You think, oh, I've got the filament. But if you put that under the scope, you will see no end. There will be no end to the number of filaments that you will be able to count with the smallest possible sample that you could ever imagine, okay? So when I'm talking about a ribbon of, of material, of something that's going to measure roughly 300 microns across was the electron microscope measurement, and you're talking about something up to a quarter inch or a half inch thick, can you even begin to imagine the amount of material that was, let's say, delivered? And then you get to ask questions, well, what kind of system would deliver a ribbon of material now that's unusual but that is how the first source actually appeared okay. and those photographs are on that paper i know they're small but <laughs> what i said about you cannot you cannot count what's there and what you think is the smallest possible thing you can imagine even for the microscope sample it will mm -hmm. be no end to what's there uh, clifford have you identified the things in the environment that are conducive to make it grow like humidity or temperature or anything like that or co uh, any co-infectious organisms well I've, I've cultured it is what i've done i guess this way. I, mm -hmm. I have i have established an environment uh media that uh, to me is highly efficient uh at culturing that was that was not a short easy path by any means excuse me, years ago, that when I made reference to a patent document that's been released, that's out there and that has its own story with it. Um, but if you, that that patent uh, application will, um, will discuss um, what I'd call preliminary culture attempts. And they, they work, they work, but they are very inefficient, uh, take a long time, 
um, and produce limited uh, uh, morphology, limited growth will come out of it. Um, so it's there. But the reason I made a, a call to attention in those last three volumes, and remember, those were written for me. Those weren't, you know, good luck to anybody even reading my handwriting. But the last two years, just in the last two years, there was to me what was simply a remarkable advancement in terms of the culturing process. Um, and that which took uh, months. I have a I have a case where I have a, a sample that I looked at, and it was it was in storage for a year. And I looked at it, you know, the whole serendipity thing and how that comes into research. But I I looked at a sample that had been storage for a year, and I recognized that something very significant had happened. And I needed that time of a year for that to happen, and my luck to see it in the latter cultural stages. That I'm talking about. I, I can produce this effect within two or three days, basically. Um, so there, there is a very specific mean. It's not complicated either, by the way. Um, uh, but there is a very specific m media development uh, that has taken place that I regard as incredibly uh, efficient and effective. And there is no problem uh, with producing this, um, this growth. If that, I mean, that's how I would answer it. My answer was to get it into a petri dish, basically, and and it's been done. Um, so it grows well. People from icy, cold, you know, environments, um, it, they get it affected by it just as well as someone in a humid tropical environment. Uh, at this that point, you've noticed? at this point, um, how would I say it? Um, I did work with boiling water. Okay. At times. I haven't found anything that has actually, um, call it, uh, uh, killed this thing, what I would say. Um, okay. Boiling water was used. Um, it's a little bit of a projection, but the upper atmosphere is, you know, in the neighborhood of minus 40 to minus 50 degrees centigrade. Um, there's every plausible reason in the world to believe that it can uh, uh, survive in, in that environment. I have subjected it to a vacuum environment. Uh, near vacuum, we'd have to say. Uh, I have nothing at this point that can actually say it's gone, that it's obliterated. I have uh, filament samples that were simply sitting idle for more than 10 to now 20 years. And there's absolutely no change in the ability uh, that I would have to uh, uh, produce that growth in a culture environment as far as I'm concerned. That's wow, what I know. Nice. That's what I know thus far. I, you know, an interesting question to me is, uh, could it uh, live in a pure vacuum? And at this point, I would say I wouldn't be surprised in a slice bit if it could go into a dormant state in a pure vacuum. But I don't have that information yet. Okay. And and by the way, this is see, can't start. Can't you get me going? But by the way, when when I when I am employed that term cross-domain bacteria that term was brought about because of the conflict that i saw when i study traditional biology you know i grew up in the in the world of taxonomy and structural morphology for identification and then i started to learn about i don't know if you pronounce his name wise or wheeze or whatever on the genetic side but um, once you shift over into the genetic definition of origin of life, that becomes fascinating because here I am looking at something and saying, well, how does this fit? And and me having very limited uh, uh, tools available and resources available, I have to make deductions. 
and one attempts to make a deduction, does this fit? Okay, and what do you have? You have the you have the archaea, right? Uh, and the bacteria and the eukaryotes, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to say, how does this fit? And what I just talked about on the what I'd call adverse and hostile environments, well, this to me brings in the archaea world. It, it brings up the very serious prospect that we have something that can handle the types of environmental conditions that the archaea can. And then I have something that looks like a bacterial form in its in its in its uh, original form, that smallest structure. But then the culture growth will reveal a whole set of growth that to me that is much more characteristic of a, of a fungal nature. And some of this some of this work does truly step on the toes of people what they would regard as science fiction. But the fact is, when when you when you have that attitude yes. that you think something is science fiction, but you actually look into it. It's often not science fiction at all. And there are some very interesting blood culture studies that were done very early in the game. And I'll tell you, the results of that, they just still, they astound the heck out of me, okay, in terms of what happened in a blood-based culture. Now, this is a human blood-based culture. So how does that fit? How does that fit to have a culture that can span, apparently, such, such a broad area of genetic diversity? And how is it to be defined? That would be interesting to see its DNA. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's there. And, you know, I have to say, there is, to me, there is actually no excuse. I will, I will tell you that I actually made an, an attempt. I may, I, uh, at some point, you, you just call it. And, and I tried. I actually plain walked into a laboratory that had that type of resource, those resources available. And I asked, I requested to have this identified. And I'm not saying the circumstances were perfect. If we talk about it more, I, I fully disclose everything that's going on. But in the end, in the end, the sample is refused. And the actual statement on the paper is unable to process. That's the statement given, unable to process. But there's a bit of a sort of a dimension behind that story um, that I think is interesting. And if you if you recall, I made a statement that I do believe that legal support is going to be required. In my mind, and absolutely an audit process. I don't. I'll tell you, my standards would be pretty high, and you know, be pretty high in terms of convincing me or demonstrating to me that there is no sources of interference of any kind. Because when you get into this kind of work, you start dealing with a, a number of limited companies to begin with. It doesn't just come right off the street. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you can't say they don't talk to each other or can't have the ability to talk to each other. So I'm just saying, I do think that legal support will be required. And I think an a audit process, um, impeccable audit process will be required when that time is reached. And if you can ever assist in that process, I'd love to be involved with it. It's, it's not going to happen for me. I, I don't think uh, I, mm -hmm. I, I will be walking in the street. Yeah, my, my, my experience with those government departments has been similar to you. So I've had my own stories with different things. So I understand I'm not really from the research more, but from the clinical side. Yes. They'll try everything they can to desperately cover up many of these things. Um, you think it's a chimeric kind of uh, organism? Uh, definition, sure. please. Uh, definition. Uh, give me a definition. Uh, somebody manipulating 
and you know, m manipulating the genome and splicing some things together. Uh, let's just say it's entirely on the table. I guess that's yeah. how I was. It's entirely on, yeah. on the table. And until I get the yeah. DNA, and have somebody that knows what they're talking about and knows how to understand it, I wouldn't be able to answer it, but it's entirely mm -hmm. on the table. Okay. Here's a statement I can make. I probably should have made it, but a statement I can make is that I, I think it's fair to say uh, at this point, as I'm looking back, you know, at where we where we've been and where we are, I, I think it's a statement of truth that the the public, the general public, was never intended to know that which we speak of. Well, That's sure. my opinion. I don't believe that the public was ever intended to receive the information that we are speaking of. Clifford, mm -hmm. when you said early on in the game, are you talking the early aughts, just around 2000, 01, 02? Usually. Depends if you have a specific reference, but usually that, I mean, um, see that the biological aspect came in right at the beginning. People don't realize that they, you know, they have this gen geoengineering aspect, which is fine. I mean, I spent 10 years working on that, but they don't often realize that the biological side came in in the first year it was right. introduced. Do you think, is there evidence of nanotechnology in the filament? Well, that, you know, that's great because I always get like very uh, specific on this. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, there are certain terms that are bandied about quite a bit and I have to resort to the definitions. Okay? And you could ask me, you could ask me, do you, do you, do you speculate or conjecture that nanotechnology could be involved here? And I would say, yes, I can conjecture that it may be involved. Sure. But nanotechnology essentially is going to be 10 to the minus nine. It's going to, it's going to be one level deeper than I can reach with my equipment. I have never seen uh, nanotechnology with my equipment other than one very tantalizing, one very tantalizing borderline, okay? And that is, I did get down to 300 nanometers one time. Now, it's close, but in the real world of nanotechnology, I'm sorry, I think I'd have to be down to the single digits, mm -hmm. okay? So I can't get there with my equipment. And personally, I, I, I think it's, it, it, it's a disservice when people toss around the terms as if it's assumed that it's absolutely true without the actual evidence, okay? Because what blows my mind is the evidence that is there is sufficient to open up the entire Pandora's box. I don't need nanotechnology. That's fine. It may be there. It probably is there. Mm -hmm. But what about what I can see? Now, the other, the other side of that question, with infrared, I'm working at the molecular level. I'm working beneath nano. So I'm, mm -hmm. I'm talking about what I can see. I don't get to use that term. But I can actually use the molecular side down on the angstrom side, and I can use micron side. But I don't get to handle the nano side or, quote, the nanobot issue with what I see. Right. And I think it's a disservice to, 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 to use the terms abundantly without providing uh, the basis uh, of scientific evidence to use it, my opinion. Sure. But I understand that. And the evidence would be that people are breathing in these these filaments from the environment, and then are they lodging in the in the lungs, and then they're starting. You know how like how does the growth process happen after the after this um, 
this microbe gets into the body? Does it move around? Does it get in the bloodstream and then move around? And then what, when it starts to grow, like, what does that look like? Well, I don't get to see it inside of the body in most cases. I have that sputum sample. I have urine sample. I have, I have byproducts of the body, right? But I don't get to look inside the body directly. Sure. So it has to be a process of deduction. I can answer yes to most of the things that you would say there, but you have to exclude, oh, I don't actually get to see it inside. But uh, take it take it from a logical standpoint. If I have the filament in an airborne form, yes, I breathe it, right? Okay, so that's given. It, it is there. It is being adjusted into the body. And in fact, that was the basis for the correspondence to the Environmental Protection Agency, that this is an unknown hazard or threat that's being uh, can have the potential at least of being ingested and if we have concerns about asbestos fibers at two microns i certainly think we should have a concern of an inert uh material actually has a very uh, uh the outside coating is very very difficult to break down it's like a chitin type nature um but uh if you have something that's less than a micron i think the basis for investigation is certainly there but here's another observation in terms of answering your question and that is, I have a case under the scope where the filament is there. But what happens is it's like if the filament is damaged a little bit, which is easy to, easy to do if you're fussing around with a scope. What happens is you actually see what I'll call the cross-domain bacterial form, okay, like released. You see it on a, outside the shell of the filament, in other words. So we don't want to regard the filament as being an absolute container that is impervious Okay, until some mechanism operates on it. I have seen I have seen the cross-domain bacteria external to the filament um, um, in in uh, when, they, uh, when the structure has been basically uh, broken or damaged to some degree. Now, what that tells you, what that tells you is not only are is a form of ingestion involving the filament, but it's also involving the bacterial form itself. Okay, it doesn't have to be. Uh, contained in the filament at all times. Hmm. Okay, so and uh, so and then when it's inside the body, well, I, I don't get to see it, um, but I did. I I did look at that uh, sputum sample. I've looked at uh, 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 urine samples and blood, and and you see it there. I don't get to open up the body to do it, but I see the products of it. And yes, it's been seen in the but seen in every bodily fluid uh, that I have looked at is hmm. what it amounts to. So it's in the body, and then and then I. Spoke of what I see. This is my own observations, uh, involved my own observations of what I'm calling the nodes, uh, nodes or networks. Uh, uh, that's a fascinating topic. Okay, I, I have to admit it comes from a very detailed study of my own system. Okay, so yes, I, uh, I, I'm a single sample point, but let's just say I study myself quite fairly and honestly. Mm -hmm. And it's absolutely mm -hmm. fascinating in terms of what's actually going on there. And it, it's perfectly, perfectly logical and makes sense. I'll give you another. These these boundaries, these, these are not definite boundaries that cannot be crossed. I have windows in, in many ways to this thing. It's just that I, I said, oh, I don't get to cut open somebody and look inside. I'll tell you, they were anecdotal reports. They were anecdotal reports of autopsy showing filament networks, but that's, that's anecdotal. So mm -hmm. what can I do with that? I'll give you another one note. I have a particular situation with an ear that's involved. And I studied this particular situation involving an ear for some time now. This particular ear exudes a fluid. 
And this fluid is not exactly wax. It's much too watery, and it's only in one ear. All I can say is if you look at that material on infrared, it will match the same fluids that I get from the metabolic products of the culture. Okay? I'll say it that way. Every bodily fluid that I have examined will, to me, show its mark. Mm -hmm. So what is your hypothesis on why the organism gets sick from having these filaments? Is it, um, is it because of the metabolic waste that are being produced, the toxins, the biotoxins, or the film? Um, do you have any idea why that's happening? Uh, I missed by two words. Um, I missed yeah. a critical word about, are you talking about filaments coming from the body? I, I missed a critical phrase. Uh, sorry. W what is your idea or hypothesis about why the organism gets ill or sick or has negative symptoms when there's filaments on it or in it? Well, is it because okay. of the biotoxins or... Okay, I have to make sure you're waste. talking about the in, you're talking about in, like an individual getting sick, a human being getting sick. Yeah, and indiv an individual, or you said some of the plants. You saw plant life not do well either with the filaments. I I think that the harm is being done by the chemical nature of the metabolic products of this organism. Okay, okay, okay. that's what I think. Um, I think that the uh, particularly uh, a water soluble. Uh, protein form um, is very easy to work with uh, in terms of making studies and also easy to work with on infrared. The other uh, solid materials can be very hard to get digested with my equipment. I've gotten, I've gotten there to some degree, but the water soluble uh, protein is very easy and convenient to work with. And the chemical nature of that material, I think is clearly what's toxic. That's what okay. the plants were subjected to. Um, there is a there's a, another big question here involving the thyroid that I didn't really bring up, whether or not the thyroid might be sort of a, a grand central station. Um, yes. You know, I, I try not to focus on my own personal situation. And yet at this point of, of the affair, see, now it's it's time. It's up for grabs, folks. I mean, do what you can do what you want. So I, I offer information um, more more readily than I, I have in the past. But, you know, I have an entire situation that I've analyzed in great detail, uh, and it, it tends to, it doesn't tend to, it involves a very specific region of the body. And in my case, it would be uh, from the long, the upper lung, uh, all up through the neck and around mm -hmm. and around the uh, ear. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so this has been studied in great detail. And the thing that I can't get to right now that I want to know is my thyroid. And here's the reason I'm especially curious. I have had a couple of ultrasound uh, examinations over the last uh, two years. And let's just say they have my attention, but I can't get in there yet. And, and I'll say that there, there is a growth on my thyroid, okay? Uh, what that means, uh, I can't say yet, but this, connect, this issue of the, the source and movement uh, of the network in the body, the thyroid interests me a great deal, and I'd like more information on it. And in, in addition, there's an issue of uh, uh, thiocyanates that seem to come into play here, um, and I'm very curious about those and their existence and their role they might be playing with any thyroid problems.
Do you have any idea what uh, activates it? I would assume it's dormant. You breathe it in, it gets into your body, and then something causes it to to wake up out of the dormant state. And at this point, is it then it's starting to grow, right? It's starting to grow more fibers in, inside the body. Is that right? The, the conditions for growth of this microbe seem to be quite lax, not difficult. Mm -hmm. I don't think that it takes extremely unique or specific circumstances to produce at least some form of growth. I don't see it as being uh, really inert at that stage. Um, I, I think, um, well, put it this way. I can produce a culture in 24 to 48 hours. Um, the culture medium is not that sophisticated. Um, I will, <laughs> I'll tell you an example. I have, you know, the, the whole issue of sterility and, and having a, a sterile environment is, can almost seem ludicrous to me in many cases, very difficult to attain. I certainly don't have an environment here, but, you know, I think I have reasonable expectations of what might be perceived as being a inert environment and i will say that i have seen uh this micro produce uh interesting growth uh i would characterize it as a i would regard it as a polymer polymer form that's very interesting um mm. you, if yeah. somebody saw it you would say that it looks like a plastic thread uh, type thing but i have seen that happen in what most people would just regard as uh, basically a vial of tube of water okay yeah. um over a period of many months, I saw that. So again, I'm not saying that the it was just water. You know how pure is water? I've done whole studies on on water purity from from water that's being sold as being pure. You know, so who knows exactly what might be in the water? But to absolutely absolutely pure water, it's not likely. You buy ultra pure water, right? And you still have problems. So I, I I guess I'm saying I don't think the the conditions for um, initiation of growth are necessarily all that difficult. And, and here's, here's the problem that I think we have to recognize. And that is, you know, it's, we don't know the actual true history to like a date where you say this thing existed on this planet as of this date. We don't have the information exactly in that way. What we do know is there's evidence for about roughly 25, it's actually getting closer to 30 years, uh, that the the conditions for dispersal and such, and the activity associated with such dispersal, seems to be to be in place. Now, it was distressing to me, but you see, those that report on this issue, like I said in the transcript, they they report it as an issue that's confined to certain places. And certain groups, what they call hot spots, right? Oh, we have this little flare-up involving these people in Texas or California. But if you look at the evidence, the evidence says that the environment itself, the entire environment, I, anything that I can look at. I, you know, I'm up in the woods up in northern Montana, and I decided to take a little crusade and just grab uh, random plants and put them under the scope. Every single plant showed this. I have I have dissection samples that I that I buy commercially, and I look at them. I see this in everything that I look at, and and so it's 
And, and when I say environmental, people did not want to hear that word, environmental film. They never wanted to hear and still do not want to hear something that has, quote, an environmental origin. Because if I'm saying the conditions for initiation are not necessarily all as sophisticated, and the evidence also says, hey, this thing is in place. And I also said it's not going away, right? I don't know any way in heck you're ever going to say this thing's going away. It's just there. Just anything that you wish to look at, I think I can produce it. So on we go, right? Not some inert thing that, you know, pops to life under very specific, unusual conditions in a certain place. But microbiology, from my standpoint, no historical knowledge of that has made its presence on this planet. That's not unusual in the world of biology either, right? Things happen. This is not someplace that's static. The curious question is, why do we not wish to know about this? What's preventing us? What is different about this that's preventing us from wanting to know about this? The, the uh, parallels with the COVID thing, or I, I don't want to get too much involved in it because that's all separate. It's absolutely fascinating to me. Mm -hmm. okay? After, in terms of perspective, in terms of perspective, and I truly wish I had some way of counting the mortality with this particular condition. But let's just say there is untold suffering that has been taking place. Mm -hmm. It's really sad. And it's of large numbers. And when you put this perspective into something that is so nebulous in terms of what do we actually have when we're dealing with the current situation, namely COVID, what are we really dealing with here okay. versus something that there is, I would say, a large body of evidence that fully documents the process in place. Right. And, and, and we don't seem to care. What, what is different? What is going on here? Well, you know, it's uh, since you brought it up, the uh, I've been having conversations with a lot of doctors and scientists about COVID. And when you talked about the uh, iron dysregulation that you see accompanying this bacteria, it that's kind of clicked for me because you're seeing the coagulation in the blood with COVID patients and um, the same kind of iron dysregulation is, is I think, a, a trigger for other retroviruses as well to, to activate uh, and the immune system starts going downhill. Um, so it's just another interesting aspect of this whole thing. I don't know if you want to explain a little bit about, you know, how you discovered that or the effects of the of the iron in the blood and how it interacts in terms of the of the cross domain bacteria that you've discovered too. Well, I think it's certainly worthy of discussion and. You know, what really gets me, there's no question about it, but it's like if you're in a courtroom and you're producing evidence, it's like the list goes on and on and on and on in terms of types of evidence and amount of evidence, right, that is available. Uh -huh. But what really gets me is the single issue that you've spoken of, this, that first issue of iron disruption. To me, that one issue would justify every bit of the discussion we're having. We wouldn't even need to talk about any other influence upon the human body sure. beyond that of, of iron and what's going on there and what does that mean. But there seems to be something about 
people always just wanting more, more, more. Give me more. You know, I've had people. Sorry, you got me going on this. You know, maybe it's a rant. I don't know. But people, you write 350 papers, right, over 20 years. And somebody will write to you and say, hey, Clifford, what's the latest information? What's the latest? Okay. And yeah, maybe that's valid. But it frustrates the heck out of me because in many, many cases, if not the majority of cases, the individuals are not even aware of the body of work that exists. And iron is something that goes back to the very early days. Uh And it goes back to to the earliest days of culture attempts. Now, I'd have to dig into my memory banks as to why and how. It's interesting when I, you know, that one is far back enough that I can't recall what that quote inspiration was as to how iron actually got involved. I'd have to look, but I will say it came really early in the game. Okay. Um, Color, color would have been a factor. Okay. This thing has a brown tan color and you start look and then you have changes in color. Um, you know, iron in the plus two state, uh, green in solution, iron in the plus three state, brown, starting to notice changes in color in my cultures. So it, it became fairly apparent that iron was likely involved. And then you start studying the chemistry of the culture of what happens. Color is one of the easiest ways. Things don't always have to be complicated. If the color changes, it's indicating a change in the oxidation state of that iron. So mm-hmm. you study the culture. You look coming in and going out. That case where I told you that something sat for a year, okay, what happened was it turned green, okay? Took a year, but it turned green. Well, I recognize that some process of reduction essentially was taking place in that sample. So iron has actually been there very early in the game. And then I have to educate myself along the way. I don't know. I don't know things. I have to learn things. And then you start learning about the oxidation state of iron. And then you start you start putting things together. And you say, well, wait a minute. It's It needs this to be doing this, namely working with oxygen. And you're saying, well, wait a minute. It's not like that anymore. It, it can't work. So it becomes this huge, huge issue. I've done studies. I remember being at camp there one time. I did this whole study on the energy that what like how much energy was that taking from your body if and instead of that energy going mm-hmm. to your body that energy went into the chemical reaction of iron okay these things were fascinating to me because it, it was real okay it was real i and others we sacrificed that energy for a particular thing to happen right and and, and it's not okay chronic fatigue is another common symptom right with the morgellons it's 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 huge if you look at the survey it's just absolutely huge if you look at the survey mm-hmm. and and you know i have to make the point here there are there are plenty of people that certainly would not wish to associate with these issues there's no way around it but we we must never forget that this topic of geoengineering you know in all the language i think we had somebody on in oh i think we have a journalist that's involved with language and somebody else i was watching they pay attention to language, but how language has been used to just immediately precondition people, okay, to put on the blinders, 
But I will make the point here that we have crossovers with not just biology here, but we have a crossover with environmental modification. These things go hand in hand with one another, right? And and you're right, that, that survey is, is pretty profound in terms of, you know, when I first saw it, I see fatigue, and it wasn't until later that I realized, wait a minute, this thing is coming across the entire spectrum of the survey. It was like everyone was saying it with respect to that body part, you know, that body system, of which there were about a half a dozen. So it's very deeply embedded. Again, no surprise to me in terms of my own knowledge of what I see in the laboratory. The, the iron energy thing is real. That's just one example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Clifford, okay. can I ask you a question? I was noticing, oh, yeah, in one of your, um, in your video at 3840, you have a photo of the blood cells and you showed the normal ones, then you showed two others and you showed that there were spikes and an, uh, looked like a coating around it on the outside. Now, it immediately looked like the pictures of a microwave radiation to blood cells. It, it looked almost identical to me and I want to actually share my screen just so you can see it. Um, so if you guys can see what I'm seeing, here's the smart meter radiation in the center. You see the spikes happening, and then you look at your photo right there. Very similar in spiky shape. I wouldn't say it's identical, but it's very odd that it's similar. And that was the first thing that came to mind when I saw that slide. And that's really just interesting to me. And then, uh, yeah, I found um, barium, strontium, and aluminum in the rainwater, and um, a lot in the uh, bark of trees and stuff too. So I've, I've also found little, I'm trying to find a video of it so I can share it with you, Clifford. There's a video that I had of little tiny hair-like fibers, almost like fiberglass that I collected from rainwater in San Francisco. I just have to find it. But I um, just want to let you know that I've respected your work and I've seen you do it for a long time. So I appreciate what you're doing. Uh, uh, thank you very much. I take in everything you say. I listen to everything you say. And uh, and it's like my position is we've got work to do, folks. Every single time when somebody right. says something here, you're not allowed to just take this as, oh, you know, that's some casual little interesting statement that somebody makes and go on with life. You put information together. You put it together and you, you analyze the aggregate. And the aggregate is overwhelming. Oh, by the way, guess what, Noah? I have also looked at rainwater. I have also seen filaments in rainwater. But I didn't talk about that today because yeah. I don't have the time. Uh, it's understandable, but that's just – You mentioned it. Yeah, no, I mentioned it, but it's, it's just it's – it's real. real. It's, it's real. absolutely yeah. real, and that's my point. My point is you listen and you work too. You don't just pass off. You work. If somebody says something, then find out. Check it out. Is the guy on track or not? And we're not talking about anecdotal things at this point. We're talking about a, you know, 20 years, and I'm not trying to give myself credit. I'm just saying, you've got 20 years of work. You've got 6,000 plus papers or pages of of motive of of a motive that was driven from an evidentiary standpoint. Okay. Well, sorry, you've got work to do, and you know, Noah, in terms of just casually, again, when you're talking about changes in the structure of the blood, I made a statement. And the statement was, this microbe uh, is uh, 
shows the influence of stimuli. Okay, And then I listed some stimuli. And you'll notice in that list, I think we'll see it. If not, we add it now. But electromagnetic stimuli is certainly one of the things uh -huh. that this thing reacts to. Okay. Now, what level and what does that all mean? I don't know. But let's say I've spent substantial time to try to get that process started. I, I often learn enough to decide to determine if there is an issue or not. I can't, I can't answer everything with my resources. But I can often poke in enough where I can see if there is an issue. There's an issue with every single one of those stimuli that I that I mentioned: electromagnetic, chemical, acoustic, okay, light, laser. The thing responds. The oh, third, I've I've go got ahead, to go Karen. tonight. I've been on the road doing some public speaking, so I'm sorry I can't stay on lot later. But I really want to read through your case studies and kind of correlate them with what I've had in patients. I think there'll be some similarities. Um, and then go from there and, and maybe contact you. I'll be back in the Dominican Republic in about a week. So I'd like to keep in touch and I'm interested. Um, thank you very much, Carrie. I think we probably went longer because once people get me going, I don't. No, it's, it's <laughs> usually, I know it's no big deal. Sure this this has been a tiring couple of weeks. Sure we yeah. Longer. Thanks. Uh, thanks <laughs> for, thanks for showing up, Dr. Madej. I really appreciate it. Your input into this and your That's insights right. are really important. So. Uh, none of this surprises me. Yeah. Um, the right. other time I can say more of my background, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm sure the government entities know about this stuff. They don't want it to get out. They don't want the knowledge to get out, but I right. think it's very important that we follow up. All right. Yeah. And this, I think is the beginning of a conversation too. We'll, we'll be, we'll be around. We'll, we'll continue uh, to get more of this information out and continue this conversation to see if we can really start to work together to figure out what's going on here. So. Uh, yeah, thanks again. Thanks for coming around. Appreciate it. Yeah. And have a good night. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Carrie. Right. Yeah. Bye. Take care. Right. Hey, Clifford, can I share my screen again? Sure. All right. So See, the, edit the editors get, they can do whatever they want to take care of the, so the business are going on for 10 hours. But I might say, yeah, you get to show whatever is relevant here. You, you and I, I could go on forever, I'm sure. And Doug can. <laughs> yeah. Rob, no. Um, so if you can see my screen, this is what I got back in 2013. Or we, you had, um, I've seen right. your work in the past and I realized that this could be up to me. So I went and did this and you're telling me that this is normal to be found in a jar of water caught in, a, you know, catching rainwater. So there's stuff out there, you know, and that's beyond. And then I can't find the filament, but here's my um, wood. It was redwood trees in Chico. Huh. that's the result of, uh, no, let's see, Nick's water. Oh yeah, this is Nick's water. Sorry about that. This is the 60 parts per, um, micrograms per liter per billion. Yeah. Yeah. So it's in there. There's stuff out in the rainwater. That's what I, I found out myself, you know? So I appreciate your, you taking the time for that and doing that. Clifford, I, I have heard, and I just, I wanted to see if you could corroborate this. Have you found um, similarities between this cross-domain bacteria and, and glyphosate in the body? You know, and, and again, I never extend myself, I do my best to never extend myself beyond that, which I have some experience base. Uh-huh. And uh, the, uh, Glycophosphate thing, what has happened on my side is that 
the infrared spectrometry and some of the work, you know, I get involved with the uh, trying to look at the chemical structure, the nature of this, the best that I can. Infrared spectroscopy is actually fairly limited. It's just a, it's just an opening. If you're extremely skilled in a profession and it can be a lifelong profession, like everything else, you, uh, you can certainly make stronger deductions than I have been able to, but I do have a window. I have, I have, I spent quite a bit of time trying to uh, look at the, the uh, what's called the functional groups, the chemical nature of the various samples that I've used. Mm-hmm. And the phosphate issue has come in there on numerous occasions. This is really all that I can say is that I have an interest in the, in the phosphate chemical groups and their potential constituency in the internal chemistry of this microbe. That's the best way I can say it at this point. Okay. And you will find, you actually will find in one of my papers, a reference to the glycophosphate issue where I am making a suggestion. Once again, we might have something here to be looking at folks. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, that's, I guess that's the kind of the million dollar question is maybe a lot of these toxins, I mean, maybe we've got uh, a relationship between uh, the glyphosate that's getting sprayed on all the food or the GMO foods and, um, you know, the 5G or, and you've mentioned in your work also this, um, well, the heart project and and then the four, the lower end, the four hertz spectrum. Um, and then potentially, I mean, we, you know, we've kind of skirted with the COVID, but maybe some of the, even some of the, the dormant retroviruses in the vaccines or the heavy metals in the vaccines. I mean, I'm starting to wonder if all of these things aren't working together, you know, with potentially with this cross-domain bacteria to create, I mean, you know, what's, what, do you have any speculation as to what the, uh, the purpose of this thing may be like, what is it doing? Is it setting, is it creating a platform for it, you know, uh, some kind of, um, I don't, you know, I, I can only speculate, but what, I mean, what's exactly happening in the human body? Is there some function? Is there some nefarious, you know, reason that they would be implanting or some, you know, some theoretical defense agency or something would be, would be wanting to, kind of infest humans with something like this i mean have you have you thought about like its function in in that big picture well i have to back up a little bit and you won't be happy necessarily with my response but Uh i have to do it from the standpoint where i come from okay and that is you brought in numerous what i'd call they'd be like webs and tentacles right of an issue right which is it's so true right we have all of these other issues that can intertwine and and what they do first of all we accept we accept the validity of bringing up the issues right because everything relates to everything in some way right so it's valid to bring up these issues now by doing so we realize we're now making our situation extraordinarily complex to right. try and figure out right. what it is, right? So in that case, I do two things. Number one, I acknowledge that, yes, this web could be very deep and very thick. Right. But at the same time, <laughs> I'll say, okay, okay, you know, let's work with home base first. Let's just work with it. Let's see what we do on home base first, okay? Mm-hmm. And so I, certainly I'm aware I've been involved in many of these same issues, right? But you know where my head's at? It's like, 
you give me the DNA. Tell me the genetic origin of the DNA. Right. And then we'll have some other discussions. But give me that information. I want home base. And so amongst this, I'm just saying it, it's very, very true. It, it, things can become so complex and so extended that we can sort of get lost in the maze. And all I'm saying is we, we have no excuse or no reason whatsoever to get lost on fundamental points of evidence. And then once those are established, then we can work out, right? Now, this is a follow through. So what I try to do is acknowledge a person because, you know, I, it means you're thinking, right? I, I try to acknowledge it. At the same time, I'm trying to say, well, let's not get lost, right? Sure. Let's, and so, and this brings up the whole other aspect of his question, like, what is the purpose, right? And where is it going? And my job, my, it's not that I don't want to try to answer. In fact, maybe someday, you know, if things ever take off in the way that they're supposed to, and we have the leisure and the luxury of having speculative, speculative discussions, Maybe I'll get involved in those, but I am so focused in terms of saying, let's deal with what we have and the whole, the whole purpose thing. It's huge, right? Mm -hmm. You know, and in Tucson, in Tucson, I, I actually tried to answer the question best I could. It's, it's totally always insufficient, but I tried. And, and the way I answered it, if somebody asked me that, well, guess what I actually get to do? When, when we were little kids in school, they had this thing of who, what, why, when, where, right? The five W's. Remember that one? The, uh, who, what, when, where, why? Mm. So I, I went back and I said, in the most basic form, if you have a problem, said, that'd be a good thing to go after. Who, what, when, where, why? So I did that in terms of what we have now. And I actually believe progress has been made on all of those fronts, except one. But if you go through this, I think we've really made progress on when and where and why and what, and, and in a non-speculative sense. But there's one huge problem, one W that I just do not have, and that is the who. Mm -hmm. I do not have the who, okay? And you cannot answer the problem. That's why those things came about. You cannot really answer the scope of the problem until you have that who. And I'm saying, you know, for us to get the purpose, you better get the who. We better get the who. You better work on getting the who. Don't let the one W go for another 20 years. Get the who, whatever it takes. And then we'll regroup. Sure. And maybe, just maybe, if we have that, we will be in a better position to be answering the question at the proper time. But I really want that who at this point. And a who is an interesting thing in itself, okay? That's that's another speculative discussion that takes take Case, right. takes place but it, I mean but it needs to be addressed so I'm not trying to bypass you uh Doug at all um but it's um I've got my job is to try and present evidences that we can work with and and that's what I need to focus on sure we need to get and, all and, the, and the puzzle pieces idea. before we can make the big discussions picture. are but it's also not as vague as I think you know, as as I think I somehow somehow portray it to be, uh, you know, people say, what's it for? And I say, well, I have a list of seven things and those seven things are there. OK, whatever. I can't necessarily get them all. Electromagnetic, biological, environmental, uh, military systems, surveillance systems. Uh -huh, right. Ever 
says all these things are here. I mean, okay. you do you do uh, mention the evidence. This is a big what? When you first put up your website, you noticed some large corporations, military, industrial complex types that were that were hitting the website before the firewalls came up, and you couldn't get that information anymore. So we we got there's a little bit of evidence as to maybe who the who is. <laughs> We, we, well, we do know who has an interest, right? We know yeah. that. We know who has an interest in the issue. Absolutely. Yeah, well, good, I mean, yeah, it's, it sounds good. It sounds like uh, like getting that DNA sequence then is really the next step. I mean, that's the, that's the next puzzle piece that we have. You have, the, you have it isolated. We just need to learn more about it, and then we can go from there. Is that the way you're thinking of it, just on that practical level? I think it's level? a very... Very obvious focal point. Mm -hmm. What is the genetic nature of what it is we're speaking? All right. Well, I mean, that sounds like maybe a good place to end. If anybody else has any more questions or Clifford, if you want to, if you have anything else that you want to say to kind of wrap it up, but maybe it would be good. I know uh, Dr. Madej seemed really interested and, and hopefully we can enlist her in helping us to to find that DNA sequence and maybe do a little more research herself as well. I mean, I can, you know, I'm just kind of, as I've been reading your material and getting to know more about where you're at, Clifford, I can certainly tell that it's time to try to get some more, you know, the more, the more, the merrier, the more help, uh, the more we can really analyze this scientifically, the better equipment that you're looking to, to try to get your hands on so you can take all this to the next level. And, and we'll just keep pursuing this until we can find out more uh, and get more of those puzzle pieces so we can start to start to put the pieces together into this bigger picture that I think I know I'm curious to figure this one <laughs> out, you know, <laughs> I mean, I've interviewed enough different people now that I I'm starting to in my mind, I mean, I'm imagining, well, is this how the big picture really is coming together between the vaccines and the roundup and the and the retroviruses and the vaccines and, you know, the glyphosate and the 5g and the space fence that Alana Freeland talks about. And now uh, this work that, that you're pointing out, this Morgellons disease and these fibers that seem to be ubiquitous in the environment, are they all connected in some way? I mean, we don't, we don't really know and we can only speculate, but um, certainly appreciate your work and your, you know, the, all this, the part, the part of the puzzle that you're putting together. And I totally understand that it's so easy to get super speculative and, and that can, uh, can really get you to go to far out places that really have no foundation without the science. So I can appreciate also that you want to kind of keep it, keep the conversation to what you can actually show with the work that you've done so far. But, but also very interesting ultimately, right? Oh, insane. That the human mind yeah, and the ability to wonder is, is crucial in the end. Well, sounds good. Thank you, Clifford, for coming on, and, and I really appreciate that uh, you've been uh, using our platform to disseminate this information, and I know that all of us here at Transparent Media Truth are really happy to help you do this, and we'll do everything that we can to, to broaden this conversation out into the general public and hopefully start to get some of that feedback so that we are capable of starting to put this larger, larger picture together, but uh, initially, certainly getting, getting the information taking these next steps from the from the research that you've already done so we can get more information about what's going on with more gallons and with this cross-domain bacteria that you've discovered so thanks uh, for coming on thanks for having this with us and we're going to throw another one of these tomorrow so we'll get another panel 
and we'll end up with a certain body of information that we can kind of kickstart this with and we'll do what we can to, to help get the word out. Like I said, and I know you wanted to, you want to take the, the Carnicom Institute into the Carnicom Foundation now, right? Maybe we could close with that if you want to just explain some of the goals and what you're trying to do in terms of fundraising and taking your lab to the next level. Well, to, you know, this we may have to have a whole nother discussion on this, but we are at a crucial point here in this particular project. Mm-hmm. And the reason that I'm here is that we are at a crossroads. Um, and it's not the same as it was. And I'm turning this information over to the public for a reason. And that is the public must now assume ownership and responsibility of this information and what it may mean uh, really to humanity's future. It's it's really, I don't actually see things uh, just in my lifespan here. So we're at a point of change. And the... The reason the information has been turned over is because it is now being entrusted to those. I don't know who those people are. I'm not necessarily at the end of what everything that I'm doing, but I will tell you that I am at a significant crossroads in my life. Uh, I've done I've done what I can do with the resources mm-hmm. that I have. I have identified and solved to the best of my ability certain major problems at the level that I'm able to with the resources that I have. The level and resources that are required to now do what needs to be done are far, far, far beyond the issue of a small nonprofit. Um, So that's a whole discussion in itself, but this disclosure project is a very significant transition point, and the public should understand that that which they may have been accustomed to in the past is no longer to be. And there is a broader level and sense of ownership that is now to take place. So I hope that gives you a sense. Um, uh, and reading the transcript carefully, I'll say this, the spirit, the spirit and intent of the foundation proposal is fully in place. That spirit and intent is. How that is to be manifested at this point is largely in the public's hands rather than my own. Well, sounds good, Clifford. And to find out more information, it's uh, carnicominstitute.org. Is that correct? That's correct. And like I said, that site, it's one of downloading now. There's no fancy interface to Mm -hmm. entertain you. You want information, download it. And I would encourage you to do that, by the way, because I do not have any, I I have no faith in any particular website and its existence in the future. Yeah, no kidding about that. We're uh, we're all getting challenged these days into trying to get this information out and distributed uh, without uh, the forces that be uh, trying to stop it from getting out. So uh, I think the most de- the more decentralized we can be with it all, the the better off we'll all be. And and uh, so certainly appreciate the work and appreciate that all the work is there on the website. Encourage all of our listeners to uh, check it out. Check out the papers. Go through the history. And um, decide for yourself what you're looking at. Um, 
And let's all start working together to try to get this big picture put together because it's, it just appears like there's things going on that we're not being told about. And this is one big rabbit hole into that world. Uh, and trying to figure out this big picture, I think, is uh, really important, really, for the, you know, for the future generations of humanity, if we want to take back control uh, of our lives and, um, you know, stop these shady governmental organizations, theoretically, that are doing something that they're not telling us. So there's certainly a lot of classified information and scientific discovery that we're not being told about so maybe you've stumbled on to some of that and i just certainly want to want to hope that this whole conversation helps uh, at least uh, get more information out in the public and um, maybe get the funding or the connections that it takes to get that dna sample sequence so we can uh, create that next puzzle piece and find out a little bit more about what's happening here. So uh, thanks again for your work. Thanks to Rob and Noah and everyone at Transparent Media Truth for putting this together. Uh, you can find out, you can find this video as well as all the other roundtable discussions that we've produced at transparentmediatruth.com. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll be back uh, in the next couple of days with round two of this. There's more information coming out and we'll take it from there. Hopefully um, we'll be seeing a little bit more of Clifford in the future too. I'm certainly interested in, in finding out more about this and uh, talking to more people and helping to get this big picture figured out. So. Um, Thanks again, Clifford, and uh, you all have a good night. Thanks, Rob. Thank you, Clifford. Thank you very much, Clifford. Yep. Take care. See you soon. All right, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was the uh, first roundtable discussion, panel discussion, that uh, Transparent Media Truth has produced uh, in regards to the uh, Carnicom Disclosure Project and the video that was put out last week that gave uh, a great overview of... um, the work that Clifford and the Carnicom Institute's been doing for the past two decades. Um, when you put the two together, check out the video first and then uh, listen to this conversation with Dr. Carrie Madey. Uh, a lot of things really come to light. I think Dr. Madey asked all the right questions. She has been very curious about uh, this transhumanist agenda, this um, body machine interface technology that have been coming out with she actually went to a few um a few industry conferences a few years back and really caught wind of what a lot of these technologies are about and and what a lot of these um experts in these particular fields are working on and she sees what's what may very well be coming in the future uh, in terms of the potential for human beings to start being uh, molded with the internet of things so that we ourselves uh, potentially lose our own sense of free will and start to just be a part of a larger transhumanist project that uh, makes us more malleable and controllable um, by uh, artificial intelligence and other machine interfaces. So this has been a concern of hers for quite a while. She's certainly been very vocal since the start of the COVID-19 situation eight months ago. And now it was great to have her as part of this panel. I think she really learned from the video and then was able to take a a fresh perspective having just seen the video into having this conversation with Clifford where she asked a lot of the right questions 
I'm curious about the processes that he used, um, the way that he analyzed and discovered the cross-domain bacteria, his experience in terms of the Morgellons patients, um, and uh, this conversation helps to create a, a solid foundation uh, to go from here and learn a, a little bit more about the work that Clifford's been doing for the last 20 years. We do have a link to the 72-page transcript, and then I urge you all to go to carnicominstitute.org and check out all of the research papers that he's got listed there. If you do that, uh, then you'll be really well informed. We also have part two, a second panel discussion coming out uh, here very shortly. Uh, it's about Thanksgiving 2020. So that'll be uh, the next part of this uh, Carnicom Foundation disclosure project. Uh, and we get a lot more information from that conversation as well as these experts continue to learn about the work that Clifford's been doing. Um, and then, you know, all of us kind of deciding how to take this information and go with it, take it to the next level. I think uh, clearly the first thing that needs to be done is to try to get this DNA that Clifford's isolated sequenced. But also there's just a lot of work in terms of trying to get more experts, especially scientists and lawyers involved, um, to help take this research to the next level and create the Carnicom Foundation. So if you're interested in that, certainly go and visit carnicominstitute.org. Get in contact with Clifford there. You can also go to transparentmediatruth.com. Get in touch with us, and we'll get you in touch with Clifford. Um, we're very excited about facilitating uh, learning more about this cross-domain bacteria uh, and uh, learning more about Morgellons disease, exactly what it is and what the implications are in terms of humanity's relationship to, uh, to the machine age, the fourth industrial revolution, as they call it, uh, coming up here in the next couple of decades. Um, I did want to make a quick mention of just how uh, Clifford is um, so true to the science that uh, he does not do much speculation about what you know what the potential is for what he's looking at. He just knows what he's looking at, and he knows that he wants to figure out more information. So uh, while it can get uh, wildly speculative as to what are these polymer-like substances that are growing inside of people's bodies, and what is this cross-domain bacteria? Is there nanotech involved? What's going on? Um, you know, I do admire that Clifford, you know, pulls the reins back and says, hey, this is just what I've been able to discover so far, and we want to get people together uh, so that more minds than just one can really analyze this stuff, and we can take this research into the future. So again, if you're interested, please go to carnicominstitute.org and check that out. Uh, I just want to thank Rob Rubin once again for putting this all together. He's been uh, really working hard. I know that we're all excited at Transparent Media Truth uh, and thankful for the fact that Clifford has chosen us uh, to be the media production company that's getting this information out to everyone. So thank you, Rob, for doing the work that you're doing to put these uh, panel discussions together and distribute them and get them out to the people. Find out more about Transparent Media at transparentmediatruth.com. And you can find all of our roundtable discussions there as well. I have been your host. My name is Doug McKinty. Find out about the shift with Doug McKinty 
uh, on YouTube and Facebook and other social media outlets. I'm also on the web at www.theshiftnow.com. I'm urging as many of you to go uh, to all three of those websites. By the way, the websites are the way to do it. The third-party platforms are starting to be a little less reliable these days. So if you are listening to this and you think it's important information, please do like, subscribe, and share. We uh, rely on listeners like yourselves to get this information out there. We're getting less and less distribution uh, from a lot of the big tech platforms. So uh, if you are interested in this info, please send it out to your friends and uh, make the effort to uh, spread the word. Uh, Again, thank you all very much for listening, and stay tuned for part two. That'll be coming out next week. We will see you all very soon. Thanks again. Take care. The opinions and ideas expressed in this roundtable discussion do not necessarily reflect the views of Transparent Media Truth, but only those of the speakers participating in the discussion. Under the Copyright Disclaimer within Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowances are made for fair use of public content for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, and research. Fair use is a use permitted by copyright statute that might otherwise be infringing. Nonprofit, educational, or personal use tips the balance in favor of fair use.